the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the second hour. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Stefan Tubbs. News Talk 710-KNUS-303-696-1971. Our telephone number. In just a few minutes, we will bring on Keith Nobles and talk about what's happening in Ukraine and these tanks that have been announced to be going into Ukraine and what's happening in Russia. We'll get your thoughts as well. If you want to join in to the discussion on Russia and Ukraine, 303-696-1971. Now, in the last segment, I noted that DPS board, Denver Public Schools board vice president and Colorado's biggest racist, Tay Anderson, has gotten a restraining order and filed a criminal complaint, of course, using the police. Funny how that is. When he needs them, he goes to them. Against a vocal district critic named Brandon Pryor, who also recently won a court victory overturning DPS's efforts to bar him from district property, I believe including school board meetings. And they got into an argument on Friday morning and that resulted in Tay taking these steps. Oh, it's just, he, he needs help from the police. So he goes to the police, right? It's his police privilege he likes to exercise. Brian in Arvada has been patiently waiting through the top of the hour. Good afternoon, Brian. How are you? Hey, Jimmy. How's it going? Going like, all right. I like it when you're on because I like uh hear some harmonica, probably the most underrated instrument ever. Well, um, amen to that, brother, and I appreciate it. Yeah, and I've heard you play before, so I love it. Um, Thank you. But, you know, what I want to say about um, Adam Fuller-Schiff is he just, he was always lying to us for two years with the whole Russia collusion, then Ukraine. So he has no credibility, even to people in the middle, I don't think. It's just the far right that celebrates him. So I'm not worried about him getting kicked off in the optics of that, because we're never going to, the people that believe in him, we're never going to get. Swaldwell was sleeping with Fang Fang. You know, having a bang bang with Fang Fang, and 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 she was the Chinese operative. So right. I don't know if he's got any credibility there because China's <laughs> not on our side. No, so I'm, I'm, but no, they're I'm fearless. You have to understand what Swalwell said. He's fearless. They're both fearless, Brian. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. They're, they're they're both a joke because they're liars, and they've always been. They politicized the Intel Committee worse than anybody could ever do. They they ruined the credibility of the Intel Committee. Just like the FBI ruined their their credibility, but this Tay Tay, okay, you know, <laughs> Tay Tay, uh, you know, um, Kyle Clark's bestie on uh, social media. Mm-hmm. He's a detestable human being. Yes, he was accused of, you know, having inappropriate relationships with underage people. And and what, um, what they found him mm. to have done was still exchange flirtatious and coercive messages with underage teen girls, which is bad enough. 
They found they found that in the DPS report. So please continue, Brian. I just wanted to clarify that, too. Yeah, but he's just a test. Oh, I think you're cutting in and out a little bit there, Brian. And think they should the guy should file a restraining order on him because uh, if they, if we're, it's good for the goose, it's good for him. Like if he did it to him, well, then file a restraining order against him, and then maybe they both can't be in the same building ever. <laughs> you know, maybe things would be a little bit more mature if that was the case, Brian. I don't know. It's just a guess. I appreciate the call, 303-696-1971. Thanks, brother. Let's go to Dan in Broomfield. Sounds like you want to talk about Corinne Jean-Pierre. You got the first name wrong. Oui, oui, is Karine Jean-Pierre. Karine Jean-Pierre, yes, sir. So she should have been prepared for that based on Brian's comments. Is, wouldn't you think if you were going to be on the intelligence committee, you would have to have uh, intelligence? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you would like to think that, but I, I, sometimes I think Congress just has a general dearth of intelligence. But let me just go back for those who weren't listening earlier, Dan, and play the clip of Karine Jean-Pierre if right, were, right here. So I'll say this. Uh, Representative Schiff, Representative Swalwell, uh, and uh, also represent, uh, Representative uh, Omar are, um, you know, our expertise and bring a lot to the table when it comes to uh, foreign policy and national security. And we'll say this, uh, you know, uh, we'll say this, we'll say that, um, you know, when it comes to that committee, it should not be politicized. Uh, it should be independent. And, uh, and again, those congressional members bring a lot of expertise uh, to that committee, and uh, I'll leave it. There. So did KJP sound prepared at all to you, Dan? No, sir, not to mention the fact that someone should have said immediately, uh, who is politicizing this? Who said Russian collusion? Who tried to impeach the former president? Who politicized what? Who is doing what? Mm -hmm. How come no one asked that hard question? Um, it's not that hard to me, but... Yeah, yeah, asking follow-up questions to that would have been good, would have been nice, but it was really strange to me. Not too surprising, because we know who is the press secretary right now, but... It was very strange to me that she was so woefully unprepared as though she wasn't even expecting the question. How could you not expect that question? Uh, the same way she didn't expect the questions about the classified documents, and mm -hmm. we have the same five responses <laughs> for last She doesn't week. expect anything that's going to come. Here's a final question for you, Dan. What do you make of Schiff's campaign for the U.S. Senate announcing he wants Feinstein's seat? Um, I think it's funny, and I think that how could he not win it in the state where that's the norm, right? How could he not win it? Yeah. Look, I mean, look at Feinstein. What, what, what good can you tell me about Feinstein? Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Dan, I got to run. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. 303-696-1971. Karine Jean-Pierre is definitely in over her head. Now, somebody who came into the White House briefing room today is Admiral John Kirby. I believe he is the head of the National Security Council, if I'm 
correct in that. And he went and talked to, about Ukraine and what's happening on the ground there and a little bit about the 31 Abrams tanks that have now been pledged to Ukraine from the U.S. government. And he talked about how much longer the U.S. may need to support Ukraine in their fight to beat back Russia's unjust and illegal invasion. I think we need to prepare ourselves that uh, to, uh, to, to continue to to have to continue to support Ukraine for, for quite some time. I can't be perfectly predictive uh, on that. And I obviously, and you heard the president say this today, we'd like to see this war end today. And it absolutely could. All Putin has to do is pull his troops out of Ukraine, call it a day, and it's over. But he has shown no signs of being willing to do that. So where do things stand? How long might the U.S. be in it to help with Ukraine? Let's dive in and get some analysis and thoughts from Keith Nobles. For the last decade plus of the Cold War, Keith was a contractor to the military intelligence community. He also is the author of a novel, Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect dystopian tale. And you might have heard him Saturday when his co-host for a new podcast, Christina Cook, joined me. Their podcast, Cowgirls and Indians, Keith Nobles, back on the program. Good afternoon, Keith. How are you, brother? I'm good. How are you, Jimmy? I'm good as well. You've been my go-to guy since literally day one. I think I recounted earlier in the show how you came on, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be something if the invasion of Ukraine starts today? And lo and behold, I think while we were on the air, the invasion of Ukraine began, and it was on this show, me filling in for Stefan. Yes. Uh, Just kind of crazy to think now where we are at today. Although, let me ask you a broad question. We just heard John Kirby say this is the commitment and we could be in this for the long haul. Where do you think things stand right now in Ukraine, Keith? Oh, that's 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 a loaded and complicated question. It is indeed. We're in for the long haul. Here's my sense. Uh, this war is going to continue until one side or the other loses its will to fight. Uh, Ukrainians' will to fight comes from the fact that they would lose their country or lose a substantial part of their country to Russia if they decide they don't want to fight anymore. And uh, on the Russian side, Putin decides he doesn't want to fight anymore without being able to bring home something to show the Russian people that his term of office and the end of his life may very well be synonyms. So what you're suggesting is if he doesn't get this done, then he's toast. Yeah, yeah. there are, without doubt, other ambitious men in Russia who would like to run the country. Mm -hmm. So Putin's real problem here, uh, there's a lot of problems for Putin, but one of his major problems is preventing this war from becoming incredibly unpopular in Russia. Because wars becoming unpopular in Russia tend to uh, result in a change of government. So in Russia, then, what is the situation like? I believe they've just conscripted a few hundred thousand more troops. Clearly, there's some public opposition and resistance to what's happening there. There are uh, as you suggest, there are other oligarchs that would like to take the reins and uh, become the people in power in Russia. But, of course, Vladimir Putin has his sights set on being the 21st century Peter the Great. So what is the dynamic like in Russia from the way you see it, Keith Nobles? 
Well, they conscripted 300,000 troops, and they had a considerable amount of difficulty rounding those fellows up. Uh, quite a few young men in Russia made a run for the border and got out of the country. So this idea of, of greater Russia, this idea that Putin has been preaching for 30 years of reconstituting the czarist empire, it is a very popular idea in Russia, as long as that idea is cost-free. And the uh, conscription of 300,000 young men uh, kind of changed the view because it, it became not cost-free at that point. People's sons, siblings, etc., are now going to go off and fight in Ukraine. Probably uh, with little training, with little unit cohesion, and most of all, these 300,000 fellows do not want to be there doing this. So how effective that will turn out to be has yet to be seen, but I'm, I'm skeptical that it's it's going to be nearly as effective as, as Putin would hope. So then here's the here's the real fundamental question, Keith Nobles, from your experience and your observations. Is is the U.S. in the right to continue to support the Ukrainian government? We'll talk more about the tanks here in a moment, so I don't want to get to the details on that because you have some thoughts specific to that one. But should the U.S. be continuing its engagement in supporting Ukraine as other European countries in the West are doing as well? Is it in our interests? Yes, it is in our interests, and here's why. <clears throat> Putin is successful in the Ukraine. The odds of a United States Russia war, NATO Russia war go up exponentially. If Putin fails in Ukraine, the, the chances of a US Russia war, NATO Russia war uh, go down exponentially. Uh, the, the Russian army has been very bloodied here. They've lost maybe 50,000 men killed. They've lost probably seven years worth of tank production. They have depleted most of their reserves for most things. Uh, they're buying drones from Iran and artillery shells from North Korea. So, yes, it, it is in our best interest. It is in the best interest of the world because what we don't want to have happen at any point is war between the United States and Russia. And, and this Putin losing in Ukraine diminishes the chances there will be a war between the United States and Russia at any point in the foreseeable future. So I, I want to build off of that in a moment, but let's get to this tank situation. President Biden has said that they will send 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. The running thinking is that the Germans were being requested to provide tanks and they were resistant. So the U.S. said, OK, we will provide ours, try to grease the skids, get Germany to agree and some other European countries. Germany, I believe, is supposed to send 14 Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. Uh, what's going on there, and do you expect that those tanks will indeed get to Ukraine? I, I am highly skeptical the Abrams tanks will ever go to Ukraine. This is this is Kabuki theater. So here's, here's kind of the backdrop to what happened. So start out with Poland and Germany. And Poland trusts and likes Germany only marginally more than they like and trust Russia. For obvious reasons, there's 300 years of bad history there between the Germans and the Poles and the Russians and the Poles. But Poland wanted to send the leopard tanks they have to Ukraine, but to re export 
there, there's an agreement. Poland cannot re-export those tanks without German approval because Leopard tanks come from Germany. So Germany kind of dragged its heels on giving Poland permission to export these tanks to the Ukraine. And things got nasty there. They got ugly. Poland uh, basically perhaps did not write state, but Poland implied that perhaps Germany wants Russia to win this war, and Germany is doing far less than they could to help Ukraine. Well, that, that that's kind of an ugly thing for a NATO ally to say about another NATO ally. So uh, Germany said, why should we send tanks? The United States isn't sending tanks. So this brings us to what we have. Biden saying, okay, the United States will send tanks because they want to relieve this situation between Poland and Germany. And most of all, they want those leopard tanks to be sent to Ukraine from Poland and from Germany. But it's here's what people need to know. Ukraine neither wants nor needs our Abrams tanks. The Abrams tanks would require Ukraine to set up a whole new logistical system just to support that tank. Among other things, huh. the, the tank takes an entirely different fuel than any other tank that Ukraine has. So the effort Ukraine would put into logistically supporting this tank would probably draw more combat power away from the battlefield than the Abram tank would provide on the battlefield. They, they don't want these tanks. The United States doesn't want to send these tanks. This was done just completely to mollify Germany and Poland. Hmm. It, it's, it's kabuki theater. I'm... I'm so then what, what are the expectations for Germany and Poland? Do they actually believe that these Abrams tanks are going to go there, but the Abrams tanks aren't going to go there is what you're suggesting? I don't think anybody thinks there's Abrams tanks. Uh, Poland, Germany, Russia. Ukraine. So then what actually persuaded Germany? Is it just the PR nature of, oh, the Americans are going to do this, so we get the green light to go ahead and give Poland the permission to send these Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine to the front there. We called basically we called the Germans bluff by announcing we will send Abrams tanks, even though we probably never will send Abrams tanks. I mean that's really what it was. Germany was left without a, a fig leaf to hide behind anymore. And 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 what Poland said, it stung. I mean, the last forty eight hours Germany has made several statements along the lines of of course we'll do our part to help Ukraine and of course, we, we don't want Russia to win these kinds of, of statements. So there's there's a lot of bad blood uh, between a lot of countries, NATO mm. and Germany. Fascinating. Keith Nobles is our guest, longtime military intelligence contractor. We're going to take a break. When we come back, all right, it looks like Putin is not doing so well in Ukraine. If he does lose... Will he be backed into such a corner where we could have a threat of nuclear war? It's something people are talking about. Is it actually a legitimate concern, especially at this stage? We will get to that. Plus, what are your thoughts? We just heard Keith Nobles say that he believes, yes, this absolutely is in America's best interest for the United States to continue to support Ukraine in its fight against Russia in its invasion of a sovereign nation. 
Join us in the conversation. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. Text in your thoughts on the 710 KNUS app as well. We'll continue on the other side with Keith Nobles, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. 29 minutes after... Five o'clock coming up on that bottom of the hour. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. Hope you enjoyed that little bit. For my friends at Critical Mass, I asked us to ask Blake behind the glass to squeeze that in and then a little SRV as we continue. We've got on the line Keith Nobles. For the last decade plus of the Cold War, he was a contractor to the military intelligence community. And he also is co-host of the Cowgirls and Indians podcast. And Keith, I want to continue. So there is a lot of talk, and I was getting texts yesterday when I talked a little bit about this, and I referenced discussion that we had, and that was part of the impetus for me thinking, you know what, why don't I invite Keith back on, and we'll talk about this. And I started getting texts expressing concern about Putin being backed into a corner and potentially going nuclear. I want to play a clip here. It's a little bit of a longer one, about a minute plus. But it's of John Kirby, again, from the National Security Council, Admiral Kirby, uh, I think this morning at the White House press briefing, talking about the concerns that some have when he's asked about nuclear weapons. Take a listen. Is it possible that they see this as a provocation to escalate? And I heard one of my colleagues ask about tactical nukes. Could this give them a a pretext to use those either on the battlefield or against the Baltics or Poland or elsewhere? Propagandists in the Russian media can say what they will. The president put it very plainly today that these tanks pose no offensive threat to Russia. They do, as I told Phil, pose a threat to Russian soldiers and units that are in Ukraine. Uh, they're very powerful, very capable, and not just the Abrams, but the Leopards that are that are going to be coming soon too. Very, very powerful, but they don't pose a threat to to the Russian homeland. Uh, they are designed to help the Ukrainians in what we believe is going to be a need for combined arms operation in the coming in operations in, in the in the coming months. The new threat specifically, do you see that worsening? I I, uh, I would just tell you uh, we. Don't have any indication that Mr. Putin has any intention to use weapons of mass destruction, let alone nuclear weapons, tactical or otherwise. And we monitor as best we can. Keith Nobles, we'll get to phones in a moment, 303-696-1971. But what's your reaction to that and this talk, especially by critics of U.S., the, the American ongoing support for the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian people? Um, they often are now leveling this concern about nuclear and Putin going nuclear. Your thoughts? I uh, well, the short thought is this: it is highly, highly unlikely. But let me let me give you the longer answer. A- Eighteen months ago, Vladimir Putin. Uh, well, here's the analogy I've used. Eighteen months ago, Vladimir Putin was strutting about proclaiming he wanted a championship bout with the reigning heavyweight champ, which would be NATO. In the last 18 months, Vladimir Putin has discovered he can't even beat the third-rate boxer at the gym down the street. <laughs> I and mean, that's what Ukraine represents, right? He isn't, 
Vladimir Putin in no way, shape, or form wants to fight NATO. And the United States and NATO do not want to fight Russia. I mean, we are supporting Ukraine specifically because it lowers the chance that we will have a war with Russia in the foreseeable future. So start there. Nobody, Russia does not want a war with the United States and NATO. United States and NATO do not want a war with Russia. Beyond that, if, if Russia were to use a nuclear weapon, whatever problem Russia would perceive that that would solve for them, it would create a hundred more problems that are all worse than whatever problem they think it, it would solve. And Russia is well aware of that. It's just not very likely. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's very unlikely that Russia could reach a position where that seems like a, a viable scenario. Well, let, let's say, too, that they were to use nuclear weapons, for example, against Ukraine. What would the consequence be for Russia as a result of that? What's the protocol that would follow after that, particularly from the U.S. government and from NATO, Keith? Well, Russia would become an international pariah. Even China would not do business with Russia if they used a nuclear weapon. Um, beyond that, I mean, there's all kinds of... of problems. If you go back to the Cold War, but go back to the 1970s and 80s, the, the Russian strategy, the Russian plan to invade Western Europe, if, if that it had ever come to that, the Red Army had three echelons of three echelon of troops. Um, they would send in the first echelon, then they would send in the second echelon, and then they would send in the third echelon. This is over a period of about seven days. And the reason they had three echelons was because they assumed the first two echelons would be dead of radiation poisoning. There are all kinds of problems here to their own army of, of using a nuclear weapon. It's, they, they really have to hope the wind is blowing the right direction. <laughs> right. Well, and, and uh, I, I mean, but it, fundamentally, too, Keith, doesn't that completely undo the vision that even Putin has? Like, not only would he be unable, as he already is on the path to, to be the 21st century Peter the Great, but he would eradicate Russia's ability to to be a country on the world stage of any sort of influence. No, Exactly. Like I said, it, it creates a hundred problems, all of which are worse than whatever problem they think they would be solving by using a nuclear weapon. And Russia is well aware of that. I mean, there there is a lot of propaganda, uh, some of it produced by Russians, that, you know, uh, they're being provoked, they may use nuclear weapons. And there are a certain segment of American society that picks up on that and repeats that. But it is just Russian propaganda. There is... It's almost inconceivable Russia, like I said, it's almost inconceivable Russia could find a scenario where using a nuclear weapon would be a viable option to them. There's just so many downsides to, to using that, that it just doesn't solve. It creates so many more problems that it could potentially sure. solve for them. Sure. So, again, we're talking with Keith Nobles, former military intelligence contractor during the last decade plus of the Cold War. I want to ask you, because there's a lot of concern, and you see this a lot on programs like Tucker Carlson and others, where they talk about misuse of American aid, that we are sort of overextending the support that we're giving to them, and that there's concerns about corruption, etc. I want to play a clip. This is one more clip of uh, John Kirby, Admiral John Kirby, today at the White House press briefing, talking a little bit about that. We do not dictate 
to the Ukrainians how they operate, where they operate, what missions they conduct, what targets they choose. Uh, we help them with usable information and intelligence as best we can so that they can be successful. But these are their decisions to make. It is their country, their war. Our job is to make sure that they can prosecute that war successfully. And I want to follow up to make sure that I understood you correctly. You said previously in your assessment of both military and economic aid to Ukraine that at this point thus far you haven't seen any signs of corruption or misuse. Correct. What do you make of criticisms and concerns like these from the right, Keith? Uh, without doubt, there's fraud, waste, abuse, and corruption. There is in every war. There, there is in every government undertaking of, of any size. So let's just state that that's true. But they're fighting a war. The war they're fighting is against Russia. It is in our best interest that Russian military capabilities be degraded. After we've done this, we have lots of time to go back and do the accounting and figure out if there were crimes committed, etc., and that's that's fine. We can do that afterwards. Why? What would you say though to say somebody in this audience who would say, "Why should we wait? We cannot allow this kind of abuse to be happening with American taxpayer dollars. We cannot allow this kind of abuse to be happening. Say, if weapons end up in the hands of others than the Ukrainian government, that that is risky and could be disastrous. Uh, risky, yes. Disastrous, probably not. Um, yeah, like I said, there's, there's undoubtedly there's fraud, waste, corruption, abuse here. That just that's just a given because it's government. So, but let's not lose sight of what you know the real goal here is, which is degrading the Russian military so that it is less likely we have to go to war with them. Um, World War II, the Civil War, Vietnam, Gulf Wars, War on Terror. We saw all this in those wars too. And, and like I said, when this is over, we can have plenty of time to go back and do the accounting. So how much money will the U.S. government end up spending in taxpayer dollars, do you think? I mean, billions have been provided in aid and in military support. And, of course, let's say that Russia ultimately loses, as they seem to be on track to do, and then they pull out. Then you have an absolutely devastated Ukraine that will rely upon international support from the West to rebuild, which could could also be an astronomical calculus of an expenditure. So what do you expect as far as that? And how does this justify, in your view, that expense, especially when you hear folks who are critical of this say, well, we should be focusing more on American defense and American needs as opposed to this foreign conflict overseas in Ukraine? Well, so here's the rationale, Jimmy. Whatever we're spending to support Ukraine is a tiny fraction of what we would spend if we had to go to war with Russia. I mean, that's that's the entire rationalization there. It's not that this is a small amount of money. It's not that some of this money isn't wasted or there isn't corruption. That's undoubtedly true. But it is a tiny fraction of what we would spend if we had to go to war with Russia. And and that's that's what we're gaining here, is that decreasing of the odds that we would have to go to war with Russia. But, Keith... We have heard a lot of, uh, oh gosh, what's the, it's on the tip of my tongue, what's the word? I, 
claims and concerns, expressions about Russia for years. I mean, you think about what the Democrats were saying about Trump in 2016, and then he was in Putin's pocket, and, you know, the Russiagate conspiracy theories from the left in that regard, and there was all this talk about how they influenced the election unduly, etc., in 2016, scaremongering, that's it, from the left on Russia. Um, how is this not a, a sort of a scaremongering argument in the vein of the Democrats. What makes this national security issue and concern over war that you are talking about different from what we have seen from the Democrats in that regard, especially given that we have a Democratic president who uh, is in office right now? Well, Jimmy, for 30 years, Vladimir Putin has said he wants to reassemble, reassemble the Tsarist empire. And he's written at length about that as well, about how he would do that. Hey, uh, why did he choose to do that now in the last year? We may find that out at some point in retrospect. Was it because he was 70 years old and he realized it was now or never? Or was it because he perceived Joe Biden to be weak? Those, those are questions I don't think we presently know. We may someday know. But just the reality is Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line to all of this. And the idea here, right, that he, if he was successful, if he had been successful in taking Ukraine in a month last year, that he would have been emboldened to go to the next step, be right. that Moldov, be that Kazakhstan, be that, you know, Latvia, well, and, and Keith, when I was in, and I mentioned this yesterday, when I was in Taiwan, part of the international press tour I went on in October, it included 22 journalists from other countries, including one from the Czech Republic and another from Bulgaria. And the concerns were very real for them. Of course, <laughs> these were people who were born still in the Cold War. They were so they were around. I don't know how old they were exactly, but at the very least, they were kids, if not adults, during the Cold War um, at the in the in the eighties. And they also can see what's happening to neighbors of theirs and have those kinds of concerns. So that's very real. The idea that if Ukraine falls, then their country could be next. No, exactly, exactly. These are not made up fears. These these fears are ingrained in these people in Eastern Europe. I, uh, 300 years, Germany and Prussia before that, and Russia uh, divided up Eastern Europe among themselves. I, I, if it were not for the EU and NATO, I find it completely plausible Germany and Russia would be dividing up Eastern Europe among themselves today because every incentive they had 100, 200, 300 years ago still exists. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, the uh, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're in Poland, this is very real because this happened maybe not in your lifetime, but certainly your parents and grandparents' lifetime. And you you spent a lot of time. Uh, the last three hundred years, Poland's had about fifty years of independence. Other than that, it's been carved up between Germany and mm. Russia the entire time. Keith, we got to pause there. We've got a few minutes on the other side. Anybody got any questions or thoughts, feel free to call in 303-696-1971. You can text in as well on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. We'll get to texts and more coming up on the other side. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, joined by guest Keith Nobles as I fill in for Stefan Tubbs, right here on Denver's Local Talk Leader News Talk, 710KNUS. 
Coming back with a little Aretha Franklin with none other than Dwayne Allman on that slide guitar doing the band's tune, The Weight. Great, great version. Beautiful cover version. As we continue, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. News Talk 710 KNUS. We're about 10 minutes until 6 o'clock. Listener text. Let us not forget that in Ukraine giving up their nuclear program, we promise to have their backs. Our credibility is in the hands of Joe Biden and then has one of those goofy emojis. Yeah, I'm not too encouraged on the one hand, but on the other hand, Biden has been largely doing it right, I think, in Ukraine as far as the approach that the administration has taken and uh, doing so in partnership, collaboration with our European allies. Keith, what do you make of that text and what's your assessment of how Biden has sort of shepherded this, well, or at least the people under his presidency. Let's be real. It's not Biden who's overseeing what's happening in Ukraine. But nevertheless, what do you make of his administration's handling of this so far? I think what they've done so far is what they're supposed to do. I don't know that any other president would have done anything differently than what Biden is is doing. But on that text, that was interesting about uh, Russia giving up, or I'm sorry, Ukraine giving up their their nuclear weapons 30 years ago. Uh, Because you have to put that in context. And the context is the, the, uh, when the Berlin Wall came down, Warsaw Pact forces were selling everything they had. Uh, Soldiers realized they weren't going to get paid. And uh, they were selling tanks, missiles, whatever they had. They were selling it. And the United States, the CIA, was purchasing everything they could, uh, initially so they could acquire the technology to study, but after that, just to get it off of the, the market. And so you had this real fear because you had actual countries like Libya, Iraq, um, and terrorist organizations who are trying to buy nuclear weapons from, from Ukraine and Russia. And that was, that was the big fear. And so that, that was part of giving up those, negotiating the agreement for Ukraine to give up those weapons so they, they wouldn't end up in the hands of somebody who might actually use them. Hmm. Very interesting. Again, we're talking with Keith Nobles. He is longtime former military intelligence contractor during the last decade of the Cold War, co-host of the Cowgirls and Indians podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, Keith, as we wrap up here, I want to ask you to just give us a little bit of a heads up as to what's going on inside Russia, because it seems like some fascinating things have been going down there, which could have implications. We don't know what they are, but could have implications vis-a-vis the war in Ukraine or other potential issues that could fall out from it? Yeah, well, obviously, Russia is not doing well. That's creating a great deal of stress in Moscow, in the government. Uh, Putin, not too long ago, basically overhauled all the military leadership. Uh, we'll see if the new leadership will do better. But there's there's something else here. There's a group called the Wagner Group, or I guess if you're German, the Wagner Group. And they're mercenaries. They're a Russian-based company that provides mercenaries, and they have been fighting in Ukraine, paid by the Russian government, and the fellow who owns that company that runs the mercenaries 
has been bragging that his mercenaries have been doing better in Ukraine than the Russian army has. And that's generally true. Uh, these mercenaries get paid a salary and they get paid pillage. They get paid by what they can steal. So Vladimir Putin and the Russian army, as of very recently, have not taken kindly to this fellow bragging that his soldiers are better than the Russian army soldiers. And of course, this fellow is essentially just trying to market his company, but it's, it's created a great rift in Moscow. So the, the ostensibly most effective soldiers Russia has in the field, these mercenaries, uh, it's unclear how it's going to play out. But Putin and the Russian army are definitely not happy with this fellow bragging on, on his soldiers, that uh, his soldiers are doing better than the Russian army soldiers. So, again, we don't know how that's going to play out, but it's it's a really interesting dynamic going on in Moscow right now. And it's... It's going to have some consequences. We just don't know what those consequences are as of yet. Keith Nobles, just a final question for you. If you were to advise the Biden administration vis-a-vis Ukraine and or Russia on one thing, whether it's something different as far as messaging or policy, what would that be? That's a good question. I don't know if I've really thought about that, because I don't think the Biden administration is going to ask me anything. Of course they're not. But I'm asking you the hypothetical anyway. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I think think they need to make more clear what's really happening here, what the real goal is here. And the real goal is to degrade the Russian military so there's less of a chance in the future Russia and the United States will fight. They need to make that clear so people understand, oh, okay, we understand why we're doing this. They, they haven't, they've, they've said that, they haven't said that in a way as forthrightly as I think they probably should. They tried to paint this in moral pictures while we're defending the innocent country, when really it's a strategic move here to degrade mm-hmm. Russia. Keith Nobles, check out his podcast alongside Christina Cook cowgirls and indians as well as his novel available on amazon our car our dogs did not bark a politically incorrect dystopian tale keith my friend always great to check in with you thanks so much for offering your insights this hour oh thank you so much jimmy for having me once again keith nobles joining us on the program you can tell that he knows a heck of a lot about russia that's been carried over from his time during the Cold War and continues today in that, you, you know, these dynamics, things that happened decades and centuries ago in Russia are still alive and well today in terms of the mentality, in terms of the culture, in terms of the view of others in Eastern Europe and so forth. So I'd like to have a guy like Keith on the program and appreciate his analysis to be sure we've got another hour up ahead we might have a special guest coming up in that hour we shall see what happens here on the stefan tubbs show jimmy sangenberger filling in for stefan tubbs as we continue on denver's local talk leader news talk 710 KNUS, we've got another hour up ahead. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number with much, much to discuss. We could take your calls and more 
On the other side, don't go anywhere. Once again, Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Stefan Tubbs, bringing you engaging, intelligent talk right here on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS 303-696-1971 or text in on the 710 KNUS app. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.